0: Let's stand together. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, we've been talking about relationships and how God wants us to see relationships and the transformational work God does in our life uh, when when we come to know Him and how He wants us to see the world. And so we've been talking about this blueprint uh, that, that the Bible gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives us for relationships, And so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, once again today, let's read this together, beginning at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." Today, as we go to prayer, uh, I want you to be praying with us for Nicaragua. Our missionaries there have sent us an urgent prayer request. There's violent protests going on right now against the government. Even as our missionaries were, uh, were riding us, they were hearing explosions out in the distance. Uh, they've closed down the schools. The Assembly of God superintendent for Nicaragua has called for a day of fasting for peace. And uh, they just asked for our prayers. So let's pray for them today. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us direction and wants to bring peace into our lives. And we know the turmoil of this world, Father, is in many places so dangerous. People are so disturbed. And we pray specifically today for Nicaragua and our missionaries there that you would keep our missionaries safe but also bring peace uh, to that country. We know churches all over the nation are praying for them today. And we join with those churches and ask that you would move in a magnificent, miraculous way to bring peace to that country. Father, we know today that in many of our homes, in many of our lives, in many of our relationships, there's turmoil as well. And we pray you'd help us to learn how to be, be peacemakers as we walk through this earth, and Father, to see people in the right way, in Jesus' name. Anoint this word, give us freedom to share it. May it all go for your glory, and may we be strengthened in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks, right up to Mother's Day, uh, planted right here in this passage and looking at what it says to us as believers, as followers of Christ, how we're supposed to live our life. Uh, Mother's Day is going to be a great celebration. We're going to have a lot of fun that day. A lot of good things are going to happen that day. We're going to celebrate all women that day. It's going to be a great day. And then we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about uh, the church and how we need to see the church and how tradition gets in our way and uh, and how healthy, what we need to do to be a healthy fellowship of believers and really respond to Christ. Then we're going to spend the summer uh, looking at the book of Acts and seeing what God says to us through the book of Acts. And I think all these things are going to strengthen us, and I want to encourage you to be a part of them. Uh, But today, as we look at this once again, I, I want to just remind you, we were made for relationships. God created us and saw inside of us and made us with the purpose of being in relationship with other people and now relationships are supposed to be fun relationships are supposed to be enjoyable relationships are supposed to be celebratory relationships are not supposed to be a competition they're supposed to be filled with peace and listen Relationships are supposed to be easy. They're supposed to be easy. They're not supposed to be difficult. They're not supposed to be stressful. They're not supposed to be troubling. Relationships were not meant to be frustrating or filled with heartache. But we know sometimes they are. Now, what marks your relationships? Are they marked by joy? Are they marked by celebration? Are they marked by stress and by trouble? Now, we most likely have some that are in that not-so-good category, maybe at work or in our family. But I would point out to you today two, two quick things. If all of your relationships are marked with stress, if all of them are marked with frustration, if you look and the majority of them are in the not-so-good category, you've got to ask yourself, what is the common denominator in these relationships? And ultimately, you've got to look and say, maybe I need to make some adjustments in the way I'm doing things if all of them are this way. And, and for all of us, we probably have a few that are that way, at least. And, and you have to, here's a second one, you have to examine your motives and your actions and those not so good ones. And ask yourself if something has stirred you to actions that make it worse. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago? You cannot control the other person. You cannot make the other person have a healthy relationship with you. But you can have a healthy relationship with them. You can choose to walk with biblical principle with them. No matter how unhealthy, no matter whether they're unhealthy on purpose or whether they're unhealthy by ignorance Either way, you can begin to have a healthy relationship with them. The Bible defines the disciple of Jesus as one who has a heart of love for others. And 1 Corinthians 13 is the defining passage for love. Now, in this passage, he's talking directly to church relationships. It applies to all relationships, but very specifically he's talking about how the church works. And beginning this Wednesday night in our equip classes here in the auditorium, we're going to be looking in depth at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 over the next four to six weeks. Talking about the church and the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and the the role of the Spirit in our lives and, and specifically about relationships with each other. But you can look at this passage today and understand that this passage in 1 Corinthians talking about love is a clear blueprint to us on how love acts towards others, how we see the world. Love is the foundation of all healthy relationships, and through Jesus to all believers, love is the call for us to achieve after in all relationships, we are to offer it regardless of what the world or others are offering back to us. Now, the word love here, agape, is the word that we translate as love, and, and it's, it's so important for us to understand this word. Let, let, me, let me give you a quote from, from one author who, who writes about this. He says this, Agape is one of the rarest words in ancient Greek literature, but one of the most common in the New Testament. Unlike our English love, it never refers to romantic or sexual love, which is eros, for which eros was used, and which does not appear, this word does not appear in the New Testament. Nor does agape refer to a mere sentiment a ple- or pleasant feeling about someone or something like, I love that milkshake. It does not refer to, uh, to a friendship or brotherly love. For which Philea or Phileo is used, where we get the word Philadelphia. Nor does agape mean charity, a term that the King James translators carried over from the Latin. No, chapter 13 itself is the best definition of the word agape. Agape, in its simplest terms, is wanting the best for another. This is what Christ calls us to, to want the best for other people, to desire the best for other people. This is the world-changing, transformational call to all who follow Jesus. When we decide to be his students, when we decide that He is our Savior, when we decide that He is our, uh, he is our Lord, He says, I'm going to show you a better way. I'm going to show you how to live your life. And here's where it begins. It begins with agape. It begins with you now chain, being changed in your heart and wanting the best for other people. To offer agape to others, to want the best, to be self-sacrificing. Now, agape is not simply a feeling, it's a determination. Agape comes from the Spirit of God being invited to live and rule in us. Listen, there comes a moment where you've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And the picture that we get of Jesus in the Bible is that he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And he says, the Word of God says, that anyone who opens their heart to him, he comes into their heart and he begins to commune with them. This communion that he has with us, this moment that we become born again in an instant, but he begins to grow us and develop us in the fullness of his will. And one of the the main places that happens is with love beginning to rule in our heart, a different worldview of how you see things around you. Do you love Jesus? Do you? Do you want to please him? Do you want to honor Jesus? Do you want to show thankfulness for his love for you. He tells us if we want to do those things, then the way we do those things is we love others. That we forgive the way he's forgiven us. That we sacrifice the way he sacrificed for us. That we offer love to others and the best to others. The way he's offered it to us. Can you just see for a moment, just imagine for a moment, how great all of your relationships would be, how different the worst ones you may be in would be if everyone in them began to live by agape? Would that be transformational? Would the words that come out of people's mouth be changed? Would the actions people take be different? If they begin to look at you and they begin to look at others around you and they begin to think about, you know, what's, what's the most honorable way can I talk to them? What's the best way can I, how can I encourage them the most? How can I strengthen them the most? How can I be good to them the most? How can I honor them the most? How, how much would that change? How much would we be changed when we invite that to come into our life? Agape is what the Christian is called to pursue. We're called to pursue love, pursue agape. We're called to put it on, put it on our lives, to invite it into our lives through Scripture. We're called to be fervent in love, fervent in agape. We're called to encourage one another to act in love, to look at one another in our circle of influence, and encourage them to talk and act in love. And we are told that in agape, we fulfill all the law. That when we live by love, we naturally do the things that the law teaches us to do. At the very beginning of this passage, Paul makes a series of statements taking them to the extreme to illustrate that without love, our actions have no meaning. Read those first couple of verses of of, of 1 Corinthians. That's what he's doing. He's taking this extreme hyperbole statements and saying to us, if you do these things and you don't have love, that means nothing. A husband or a father... Who does good things, but he does them to manipulate and control his family so he can get what he wants. He's basically saying, "Yeah, it's no good. It doesn't amount to anything. The person who gives to charity because they want the prestige of being known as someone who's a philanthropist. It's just really, it it comes to nothing. The person who strives for... for public service, for a position in public, but they're really doing it because they want to be famous and they want to be powerful. They're not doing it really for public service. He says, no matter how much good we do, it all ends up being nothing if the motive of our heart is wrong. So we examine our hearts because motive matters. Now, as we've looked at this over the last three weeks, Today, I want us to come to these three hard issues that poison relationships that the Scripture describes that these are not love. So let's look in in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the second half, and it says this. Love is not arrogant or rude, and it does not insist upon its own way. Agape is not arrogant. My wife and I had about a... 24 hours in the car together by ourselves in the last week or so, and when you're in the car with one other person for that long, you talk about a lot of stuff. And we got talking about this series of messages, and we got talking about this word of arrogance, and my wife uh, looked at me and asked me uh, uh, a question that really struck me. She said, do you think people, when they're arrogant, that they do you think they know it? You think they know they're being arrogant. And I thought about that in my own life in times when I have been convicted uh, about being arrogant with somebody or something. And I, I began to realize that usually that conviction comes later. Usually in the moment, you think you're right. But later, the Spirit of God moves in your life. Now, if you've ever experienced it, I want want to just give this. Arrogant times in our past should serve as warnings to our actions in the future. If you've been arrogant with somebody in your past, if you've reacted to somebody in an arrogant way or looked at people through arrogant eyes in your past, It should give you a, it should be a cautionary tale that you can do that in the future. Can you think of any times in your past when you've been arrogant with somebody? Now, probably most of us could name the times that somebody's been arrogant with us. But see, my call is not to examine others. My call is to examine me. Your call is to examine you. Do you let the Spirit of the Lord speak to you about those moments? Do you invite him, as you read through a passage like this, do you invite him to say, Lord, is there any place in my life where where I've been arrogant in my past? Are there places where I'm being arrogant now? Listen, arrogance blocks my ears from hearing the other person. When I think I'm, when, when I'm arrogant, I don't hear what they have to say. I'm not going to listen to them because I'm so full of myself, my ears are blocked up. Arrogance unshackles the tongue to speak and to be harsh, to speak in ways that are condescending because I'm full of arrogance. Arrogance dulls the emotions It makes me insensitive to the feelings of somebody else. And arrogance closes the mind to other thoughts and other potential. Because I close out what others are saying. Arrogance strikes at the core of how relationships are meant to build us And to strengthen us. Now, see, here's the deal. Once you have determined that you're smarter than this other person, once you have determined that you are better than this other person, once you have determined that you're wiser than this other person, that you're more insightful, that you've had more life experience than the other person. Their life is closed off to you. They are closed off to you, and arrogance has begun to enter into the life. Arrogance demeans others, and in its process, it weakens you because you can't hear. Listen, when things are are right and they're good, you can learn from anybody no matter how little experience they had. We had one of these humbling experiences this week. Hattie was over at our house. Hattie is our, uh, she's, she's 11 months old. She's about to turn one in May. And, and she was at our house, uh, and, and we were watching her. And Jessica and Andy wanted her to take a nap, and so we have this uh, uh, little playpen thing that you have to set up. And, and it wasn't setting up right. They just, we just couldn't get it set up right. That pull, 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 pull and play or something. I forget what they call this, the thing. It's, and so Renee had been in there and she'd worked on it, and it didn't set up right. Then Kaylee went in and worked on it, didn't set up right. Finally, I went in, and I work on it, and we get this thing out, and there's one end that's not snapping into place, and we're pulling on this thing, and we're pushing on this thing, and we're turning it upside down, and we're, you know, we're just doing everything to this stupid little thing, trying to get this thing, this thing that's set up right. And, and finally, you know, we kind of determine it must be broken. There's something wrong with it. Now, we we, you know, we did, I thought, let me tell you guys, let me tell you how far we went. We went so far to read the instructions. <laughs> that's how far we went. Now, that's, that tells you we were serious. So, it, it's sitting there with one side collapse, it won't work, and, and Jessica finally gets there, and we say, hey, you know, uh, the, the this, play Playpen thing—it's not working right. So she goes and gets it, and she pulls it out, and she brings it out in the living room, and she's doing all the things we we're did. She's pulling on it and pushing on it and standing on it and turning it upside down, turning it side. Finally, she looks at it. She says, "It's broken. It's broken. <laughs> Nothing. Something's wrong with this." So it's laying there on the side, on its side, uh, in in the living room, laying on its side. and We're all just sitting around talking, and Hattie, or the the almost twenty, is crawling around. She's just crawling around and walking around. And finally she crawls into the thing that's laying on its side. And she's just kind of hanging on to it some way or another. And all of a sudden Jessica looks at it and goes, uh, I think Hattie just fixed that. <laughs> and sure enough, what we couldn't get done, she got done. And the thing pops right into place. Now, you know, that, that just shows you don't get too full of yourself right (laughs) don't don't think you're all that all the time God, God can humble you in a second when we walk through life we never know what that other person has to offer maybe even by accident that may be the very thing we need to hear But when we're arrogant and we're full of ourselves, we don't listen to the crazy idea. We don't listen to the person's thought. We shut them down and we don't pay attention. Now, here's the part that we need to be aware of. Paul talked about this last week. To have love, you've got to have a heart of kindness. But kindness, for it to be real, has to be expressed. You have to do kind things or that kindness in your heart means nothing. Arrogance is another story. Arrogance can be controlled in my actions and yet still be a silent killer in my relationships. If I possess it, In my heart, there's a spirit that even if I don't look at them arrogantly, respond to them arrogantly, it's still alive. I've got to deal with this ugliness in my spirit. Love sees others with value. And no matter how much we put on the outer show, if my heart doesn't see them with value, that arrogance plays out. That arrogance plays out. Now, this goes on. So, so arrogance is one of these things we've got to examine in our life and say, I- is it there? Do I, do I see others with value? Do I treat others with value? And kind of the way you kind of measure that is you look at somebody, you kind of, you kind of get somebody that you really hold in high esteem. And you ask yourself, how do I treat them and how do I respond to them? And then you ask yourself, how do I treat everybody else and how do I respond to them? Because, see, you set the standard. You show what you do when you hold somebody in high esteem. And arrogance is just that it doesn't hold them in high esteem. Now, here's the second poisonous thing. Agape, love, is not rude. Agape does not behave itself it says it in some of the versions this way. In an unseemly manner, Jesus told his followers once, he said, now listen, when you go to a banquet, don't go take the more honorable seats. Take the lower ones. In other words, be humble. It's better for the host to come to you and say, please move up to the seat of honor. We've got a special place for you. than for the host to come to you and say, hey, you're in the seat of honor that belongs to somebody else, move out of it. This rudeness has to do with how we see ourselves. Rudeness is the opposite of graciousness. Rudeness expects things for itself. Rudeness demands things usually now. And rudeness runs over people. I had an aunt and uncle uh, who were some of the most gracious people I ever knew. When you were with them, they made you feel cared for. When you were with them, you felt valued. When you were with them, you felt important. Their attention was given towards you. When you were with them, they made you feel at home, they made you feel comfortable. This is the heart of agape. Well, the action that is rude is just the opposite. The action that is rude is demanding and insensitive. It doesn't care about your your feelings or how comfortable you are. It just kind of runs over you. It is self-important. Jesus calls us to see others through these eyes of agape where we look with graciousness on others. And the way we speak to them and the way we talk to them, the way we respond to them is with sensitivity to the situations that we're in. Agape sees the value of each person. This love, agape, makes us aware of what's going on in the other person's life. And agape responds in kindness to each person. It's not our goal to be demanding when you're filled with agape. It's your goal to serve Now, here's the third killer. The third killer is this. Agape does not insist on its own way. In the selfish heart, stubbornness and selfishness combine in a poisonous combination. And in this heart, we think we are right, and in fact, sometimes may be right, but the selfishness is so predominant that you can't get down to the issue. Remember where we started in 1 Corinthians 13 where he goes down through these things and he says, listen, if you do all these great things but you don't have the right motive, the right heart in it, they all amount to nothing. Even though you've given greatly to the poor, even though you've sacrificed yourself, even though you're filled with great gifting, even though you have all of these things, it it means nothing because your heart's not motivated with the right reason." this this attitude of love is looking for the best and looking for the right thing. This is the springboard to relational dysfunction. In any setting, place a person in the room that has to have their way instead of the best way and you're going to have trouble. Now, Put two people in a room that have to have their way instead of looking for the best way. And you're going to have conflict. Because the motive isn't about what's best. The motive is about what they want. And because of arrogance, their ears are closed. Because of arrogance, they can't listen to others. And because they demand their own way, there's going to be conflict. Jesus became obedient even to death on the cross. Jesus became one who sacrificed himself for the good of all of us. And he calls us not to be demanding about what we have to have ourselves, but to look for what is best. Listen, peace comes when people can actually sit down and through the leading of the Spirit of God talk about what's best. What's the good outcome? What's the best outcome? And peace comes in a plurality of, of people when you're sitting in the car, now imagine this difference. You're in a car with all of your kids, all your family, there's four or five or six of you in there, and you're trying to decide where to go to eat. <laughs> that's a that's a bad question to ask with a bunch of kids. Just make up your mind and go someplace. That's my advice to you. So you say, Where are we going to go? And you've got You know, a plurality of people who want to go one place, but one person just can't stand it. And something so simple as that, you have turmoil in the car over the choice of where you're just going to go eat. Where with agape, you can look and say, you know where we eat today is not that big a deal. If everybody else wants to go there, we can go there. I can be happy with that. But otherwise, you've got the one who's either sitting out in the car pouting. Well, I've been places with my kids at times. They said, if we're going to eat here, I'm just not going to eat. And I said, well, if you want to punish me that way, you stay right here. I will go right on in. I'll eat my meal. And we will feel bad about you out here in the car. And you can get something when you get home. But see, when we're selves, we try to hold people hostage. I've done that. I've done silly things like that. We've probably all, in some measure, done some things where we just had to have our way when it really wasn't that big a deal. And so I just call you, look at this. Examine our hearts clearly. God tells us to walk through this life as a people of love. And when the Holy Spirit moves into our life, he begins to burn on those edges, begins to replace some of those attitudes, begins to help let us be able to have joy in other people's wills and desires instead of just our own. If you've accepted the challenge over the last few weeks to be reading this passage every day, then what's happening is this passage is beginning to get embedded into your life. You're beginning to to be able to know it. You've read it enough now. You've read it, you know, 10 or 15 times, and it's beginning to get connected in your spirit. And I want to keep encouraging you to, to do that, to let it get connected in your life and to read it. But don't just let it get connected in your knowledge. Begin to pray it into your spirit. Begin to let the Spirit of God speak to you and say, okay, am I being patient with others? Am I showing kindness to others? Even the ones who aren't showing that back to me. Have I determined to live this way because this is the way Jesus has called me to live, not live this way because they give it back to me? But I'm going to live this way because Jesus tells me to live this way and wants me to live in, in after his model. And let the Spirit of God begin to speak to you And begin to talk to you and make sure that selfishness is not ruling our lives. But we're walking in a vision of offering health in relationship to others. Let's stand together, Dan. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great congregation today. and Lord, I know for so many of them, they've they've worked through these issues many times in their life. But Lord, if there's some place in our spirits where we need to feel the challenge, the conviction of your spirit, that Lord, we need to learn how to walk in righteousness, Father, and and to be a people who offer offer love, agape to the world around us. Father, be able to speak the truth in love. Then convict us today. In these next few moments as we sing this song together, just convict us. Just move in our spirits and touch us. And let us, Father, leave this place offering healthier relationships to others, regardless of what they offer to us. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. So every head remains bowed, every eye closed. Just let the Spirit of the Lord speak to you in these next few moments. Prayer teams, if you would, would you come on down to the front? In the next couple of weeks as we continue to talk about this, I'm going to show you, because one of the fears some people have is, boy, does this just make me completely subservient and uh, under the power and control of other people? I want to show you how it doesn't. How we can still be the, the people we're called to be, people of conviction and truth. But we don't have to be mean about it. How we can still be loving in it. And help us to be a people who bring health wherever we go. Today, friend, if you've never asked Christ into your life, I want to say to you one more time. The Savior of the world is Jesus. What that means is this. It means you're going to stand before God someday. Every one of us are. We're going to stand before Him, and our life's going to come under the judgment of our Heavenly Father. As we receive communion today, we celebrate the blood of Christ. Because if you stand there before the Father, and you've asked Jesus into your life, you've invited him into your life, you put your faith in his blood, then you stand before him on the goodness and greatness of Jesus. And when you stand before him on the goodness and greatness of Jesus, then, friends, you're saved. He's your Savior. But if you don't put your faith in Jesus, You don't trust Him to be your Lord. You don't surrender your life to Him. You'll stand before God someday just like all the rest of us. But you'll stand on your own merit. And if you stand there on your own goodness, it will not be good enough. And you'll be separated from God for all eternity. There comes a moment in time in life when you've got to make a decision about who Jesus is. And the right one is to ask Him to be the Savior of your your soul. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Just say, Pastor, I need to do that today. I need to ask Christ to be the Savior of my soul today. I'm going to raise my hand and ask you, ask Christ to come into my life today. We just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get my heart right with Jesus today, right here in this place. Looking across this room for just a moment give you a chance to ask Christ to come into your life. Anyone here this morning, you'll raise your hand and say Pastor, pray for me. Lord, you know the condition of every heart in this room. And Father, if we are all saved, I pray you put a burden in our heart for the lost. And I pray that as people come in these doors that don't know you, that Father, your spirit would compel them as you've compelled us to surrender our hearts to you. You know the needs of people in this room. I pray in these next few moments you'd move and minister to those needs in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song today, if you have any need in your life, a physical need, any need whatsoever, you come down, let somebody pray with you, and as soon as uh, as soon as we've given a minute for this to happen, uh, Dan will dismiss you. We love you. Let's be a people who love the world we live in. Amen.